Well, church, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book written by a older man named King Solomon, who in his midlife walked away from the things of the Lord because he disobeyed the Lord. And it says in 1 Kings 11, he married many foreign women and they turned his heart away from the worship of the living God. And so he's an older man writing about his midlife crisis where he blew it. And he's writing with bitterness. And he's, his whole theme is living life only under the sun. Living life only as someone who can believe what he can touch and taste and see and build. No eternal perspective. And so he's, 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 he's bitterly reflecting. And this is a very instructive book for us in the Old Testament. No matter where we are in our life, if we're young or middle-aged or old age, it's telling us to live life with a perspective that embraces and honors the living God. And as you do that, he brings peace and hope and joy into your life. So said that Solomon is an Epicurean. An Epicurean is someone who pursues pleasure. He says that the primary goal in my life is to experience pleasure and to avoid pain. That I'm going to live only for today and only for my own satisfaction. And that is, Epicureanism is something that is done under the guise of socially acceptable behavior. Uh, an Epicurean is not somebody that's wild and crazy and out there getting arrested for being uproarious in his behavior. He's just pursuing pleasure. Solomon did that. Solomon was an Epicurean in the area of, of, of every pursuit imaginable. And I said, and I've said several times, that I struggle with, we all struggle with, Creeping Epicureanism, because we live in a land of plenty with economic incentives and the ability to do a lot of things. And in the midst of Epicureanism, a creeping type, it's easy to not seek first the kingdom of God. It's easy to not be people who go hard for Christ. So this is a book to call that calls us to go hard for Christ. So the theme of Ecclesiastes, is, as 38 times, is vanity of vanities. Everything is smoke and mist. There's nothing out there that's really worth putting your hands around. In fact, living life well is like trying to catch the wind in your hand. You can't, you can't do it. So it says it's all vanity of vanity. So today we're going to come to a, 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 a next part of Ecclesiastes. Last week was good. Last week we talked about a, a brief break in the overcast sky where Solomon thought clearly and where he said in chapter 3 verse 11 that there is intrinsic beauty in life. And that God has planted eternity in the heart of mankind and that God is glorious and eternal. And then he says in light of that, we should be joyful, we should do good, and we should embrace life. But now we go back into the doldrums. Now we slap back into despair as we look at this passage in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 4. But in the midst of this, this is, a, this is incredible. If you get this. In the midst of this, he asks ultimate questions. He asks these ultimate questions. Four questions he's going to ask is, the, is mankind more important than the animal kingdom? He says, quite honestly, in this passage, that, that there's no difference between man and beast. That's not biblical, even though that's said much today. It's called, we're guilty of speciesism, according to a guy named Peter Singer at Princeton. Anyway, is, is it better to have never been born? He says that. He says, really? He says that the people that have never been born are, are more blessed than we are who are living. 
what happens when we die? He says, quite frankly, in chapter 3, verse 21, who knows what happens? No one knows. And then fourthly, where is the justice in this life? So he asks, asks these ultimate questions. And he starts off in chapter, with our, our examination in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. He says this, I, I saw under the sun, see, under the sun, there again, a limited perspective, that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness or evil. And in the place of righteousness, even there was evil. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. And then chapter 4, verse 1, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And, I, and behold, the, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the other hand, or on the other side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And so he steps back and he says, where is the justice? Where is the righteousness? I only see evil. Where, where is a sense of fairness? I only see oppression. Now, 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 there is something planted in your heart when you come to faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that cries out for justice. Micah 6 verse 8 in the Old Testament says that the Lord has told you you must uh, Walk justly or do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. So, but do, do justice. Justice is called for. And a very famous passage in Hebrew, uh, Jeremiah chapter 9 says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the mighty man boast of his might, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the God who exercises loving kindness justice and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. God delights in justice and so should we. And yet, you read this passage as a, a person who lives in this country and it doesn't impact you like it would in other places. Don't ever, ever forget the blessing of living in the United States and that we do have a Judeo-Christian heritage. I've, just as an aside, I was reading, been reading some things recently for some reason about Ronald Reagan and how Reagan loved to tell four or five jokes that he said he heard in the Soviet Union. And uh, I think this is, he said, one is this. He said that uh, he went to the Soviet Union. He was told that one in seven in the Soviet Union own a car in the cities, in the cities, one in seven. And so he said a lot of times you had to apply for a car and it would be years. He probably embellished it a little bit. He said, and you had to pay cash. So he said a man went in, down to the uh, local acquisition office for an automobile and he paid in cash for a car. And the man behind the desk said, it'll be 10 years from today. And the guy goes, wow, that's true. It would take a long time. And he said to him, will, it come, will the car be delivered in the morning or the, or the afternoon? He said, he says, why? He says, because the plumber is coming in the morning, you know. Um, so so uh, never forget, really, the, the economic viability. I mean, it's, it's, it's a blessing. So when we hear oppression, uh, you don't realize that the vast majority of people in the history of civilization have lived under oppression. Here's, this is called the, um, the, the world... Oppression index. The lighter the country, 
corruption, the corruption index. The, the lighter the country, the greater the equity and justice, and the darker, the more unjust. If you notice, all the countries with light are Western European, basically. A Judeo-Christian heritage. So the 10 most corrupt countries are, in this order, Somalia, Southern Sudan, Syria, Afghanistan, Yemen, Sudan, Libya, North Korea, Venezuela, and Iraq. Conversely, the most law-known countries are New Zealand, Denmark, Finland, Norway, Switzerland, Singapore, Sweden, Canada, Luxembourg, Netherlands, 16th place tie between Austria, Belgium, and the United States. So we, we, we I know there are pockets of, of injustice. Don't misunderstand because we live in a fallen world. But we, are, we grow up expecting justice. That is not the norm. That is not the norm. In that list of the 10 most just countries, Singapore is the only one that's not Western. That's because Singapore in large part had an incredible leader named Lee Kuan Yew that had the rule of law writ in large. And also because Singapore has experienced an incredible revival of the Christian faith in their midst. So, so but understand that when, when people read this around the world, they go, you better believe it. We look for justice, we see evil. We look for right living, there's evil. We look around and say there's nothing but oppression by those who are in power, who are in the elite. They just oppress, oppress, oppress. They oppress the poor. They oppress minorities. We have to fight against that. So, so, so that's, that's the background of this text. And, and, and then there, there's a verse here, my interpretation, it's just my interpretation. I think in verse 17, Solomon has this bleak resignation. Again, he says, I'm under the sun. And he says this in verse 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I just think that's a, a, a bleak resignation statement. It doesn't ring with the clarity of Romans 12 where the Apostle Paul says this. Let me just read verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all, beloved Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, 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 so hear this. You know, don't repay evil with evil, but he says, in light of who Christ is, be kind. In light of who God is, there will be a answering at the bar of justice. To me, that's a ringing declaration. I think Solomon said, let's make the most of a very bad situation. So three concepts of this passage. Number one is despair. Solomon is living in despair. Chapter 4, verse 2, and I thought the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. He says, he says let's just step back. He says, the dead are better than the living and really the, 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 the best are the, the ones out there who have never, ever, ever been born. He's despairing. He's living under the sun. I believe that living under the sun eventually leads you to despair when you hit the wall and you say there's no next great thing. I've done it all. I've acquired what I think I'm going to acquire. 
I'm living in despair. He says in chapter 3, he says, I, he says, I want people to see that they are no better than beasts. That's just despair. I want people to see that man has no advantage over the, the beast. He's living in despair. There's no justice. There's only a bleak resignation. And he was king. But he says, this oppression is so systemic, I can do nothing about it. He's hit the wall. Well, let me say this. Some people hit the wall sooner than others. It really doesn't have to do with age. It has more to do with your life experience and your expectations. Let me show you this graph. This graph is total suicides in the United States from 1981 to 2016. And you can see in the last 10 years, it's been a hockey stick up. Um, and I, I, I addressed this uh, uh, when I was a third grader. My dad has two siblings. His only brother's wife, a young, beautiful woman with three small children under the age of eight, took her life in a very small town, in a family business. It forever changed our family. Forever, still to, to this day, to this day. It forever changed our family. And then 10 years ago, nine, 10 years ago, my mother's, on the other side of the family, my mother's only surviving brother took his life. So I, I understand the ramifications of suicide. Um, and I understand how when you hit a wall, you see only absurdity. Look at this graph. This is the suicide rate among teens uh, from 9, 2006 to 16. It has gone up 70%. And there's an article from, I'm going to report up to you, in, uh, from the disease Center for Disease Control that was reported in the Wall Street Journal. Suicide has now become the second leading cause of death among 10 to 24-year-olds, up from the third place it has been for years. The studies showed the proportion of young people treated at 31 U.S. hospitals, children's hospitals, for suicidal thoughts or attempts more than doubled from 2008 to 2015. And then... It says, some early research has suggested that children's use of social media and smartphones may also be factors fueling cyberbullying and feelings of inadequacy. It quotes a psychiatrist at Johns Hopkins, Bloomberg School of Public Health, and says, we need more data, but it, this appears to be an unarguable reality that smartphones have contributed to this. Quote, what our study made clear was that school has, is a huge influence, said one of the lead researchers, Dr. Gregory Plemons, a physician and associate of clinical pediatrics at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. He said academic pressure and bullying could play a role. He went on and said, he became interested in conducting the study after noticing an increasing number of beds at his hospital being used for young people in need of psychiatric treatment often after exhibiting suicidal behavior. Quote, what I'm noticing is kids seem to be less resilient and have more pressure. I think social media also fuels this Instagram life of everything is perfect and cool. 
and you don't see the other side of life. One study published last year found that U.S. adolescents who spent more time using electronic devices and social media were more, more likely to report depressive symptoms and thoughts of suicide. The study also found the correlation between screen time and mental health was stronger among girls. So I, I, I read that. And I just have a, a few thoughts. You know, you, you, you hit a play, you hit, you hit the wall, and sometimes you hit the wall, and there's no next big thing, and your, your, your dreams have been crushed. Or, and, 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 you know, when you're a teenager, your dreams can be crushed very quickly, very quickly. And so you step back and you say that, that life is, is absurd. And I, I think of a guy named Viktor Frankl who wrote a book entitled Man's Search for Meaning, which is a great book. Viktor Frankl was, a, was, a, was a, in Auschwitz. And he said this, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. But see, when you hit despair, there is no why to live. There's no big next thing. Your world is crashed. And I just thought about our kids. And I, th I, thought about, I, th I thought about the incredible pressure we put on our students. Look, don't, don't, just love your kids. I, I, I am amazed that um, kids have to declare a major before they go to school. Now, back in the good days when I went to college a long time ago. Everybody took the same core courses for a year, maybe three semesters. And then you decide it. Now when you're a sophomore in high school, God declare what you want to do. Give me a break. And the incredible pressure they have, and just this, this is not mentioned in the report, but I'll say this. The, 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 the radical redefinition of sexuality and the family is going to unleash a Pandora's box in our culture. I do remember being an adolescent. It's been a long time. But I remember my, in my adolescence, I thought about two things, sports and girls. A lot hadn't changed, to be honest with you, but about sport and girls. And, and, and so I, I remember the, I remember, really, it's difficult. Am, am I, am I, will anybody ever like me or will I make the grade or, I mean, it's just hard. I can't imagine, I can't imagine being a fifth grader and having a school teacher say, now, you know, when you take a shower, you look at your body and you are physiologically a boy. But we know that you may not really be a boy inside. And sometimes you're going to have to decide if you're really a man or a woman. So because of that, we're not going to call you a he or a she, but maybe a Z. And you have to decide. I, I can't imagine the incredible. I mean, I'm already confused about a lot of stuff. You throw that in there, it just blows my mind. Be careful where you're seeing your kids to be taught. And that, that's, gonna, that's Pandora's box. When I grew up, we all knew that sex was a gift from God, especially if you're an adolescent. You're thinking, wow. And then you, somebody comes along and says, and it's for marriage. So, okay. And it's for a man and a woman in marriage, of course. But now we're being told, no, sexuality can be expressed this way and that way and this way. And so with the groups or same-sex, just think of the confusion, you know, the confusion that hits these kids. And then the third thing is the media. Don't give your kids smartphones until they're 18. I'm serious. They can't handle it. I'm, that's what, you read these books, that's what people are saying now. Don't, don't do it. I mean, let, give them tracking devices. So you know where they are. Sew it in their skin, whatever you want to do. But I mean, just, just be careful because, because I, I don't do Facebook. I don't understand Facebook. I don't understand all that. I just don't do it. But I do know this, that, that there are aspects of Facebook that are from the pit of hell. 
And that's what he mentions in this article because nobody goes on Facebook and says, hey, just want you to know that my husband got fired because he was caught doing heroin or cocaine in the bathroom. Have a good day. It happens, doesn't it? No one's going to go on Facebook and say, oh, by the way, my son was arrested today for fill in the blank. And we spent the afternoon in North Charleston watching him be arraigned before a judge. And then they took the, they took the shoelaces out of, his, out of his shoes so he wouldn't, wouldn't hurt himself. They took the belt from him. It, listen, it happens. Or we just celebrated 25 years of marriage. And quite frankly, the last two years have been horrible. It happens. You look around you this morning, you're surrounded by dysfunctional people. All of us are dysfunctional. We're sinners. All of us struggle with these issues. It's just there. But, but, but you walk around and you just go, ah. There's a poem named Richard Corey by a guy named E.A. Robinson. This is an incredible poem. and It's a short poem. And it goes something like this, that Richard Corey was imperially slim and a man among men. And he would glitter as he walked, and he was imperially slim, and he walked like a king, and when he said good morning, all the ladies' pulses fluttered, and we labored and longed to be like Richard Corey, but one calm Sunday night, Richard Corey went home and put a bullet through his head. There are people right now in this place living in despair, and you would never know it. Life is just I'll give you. Let me give you a tame example. You ought to do re-engage. It's a great, if you, if you, I've, I've married a couple, eight days ago, a wonderful couple. I said, you got to do re-engage. Go next week. So in my marriage, this happened recently. I am a generalist in communication, and that's giving me a lot of credit. Let me explain. So for years, I would say to my wife, we're going out to eat on Thursday night. And in my brain, I would say, we're going to eat with this couple, and we're going to go to this place, and we're going to leave the house at this time, and show up at this place, and we'll be wearing this place, or wearing these clothes. And, but none of that got communicated. And so Thursday night rolls around, and I say, hey, you ready to go out? And he says, well, you mentioned it, but you, that's all you said. No, I didn't. I told you who we were going to eat with. I told you where we were going to go. I told you what the special was. I told you. I, I, I told you. I don't think you. I mean, we're I don't think you did. It really wasn't said quite that nicely. I mean, I did respond that way. And so I would just shake my head and go, you know, good grief. Good grief. And then you know what's happened? This destroyed me texting. Texting. So I have no place to hide now. <laughs> so now I will text my wife and says, hey, we're going out to eat Thursday night. Love and kisses, Buster. And Thursday rolls around and says, you ready to go? He says, well, you didn't tell me where we were going, who we're going with, what we're going to eat, what we're supposed to wear, when we're going to leave the house. I said, yes, I did. She said, no, you didn't. <laughs> and she's got me. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I, 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 we did re-engage. They talked about one of the great questions was, what do you expect of me this week or for this party, which is a great question I've never asked. 38 years. It's just, you know, it's just. Some of you are going to get married soon. It's, just, it's good, but it's just. You're marrying a sinner, guys, I'm telling you. It's just me anyway. Anyway, so, so, so let me talk to you about some levels of despair. 
The first level of despair is you begin to hear the echoes of the next big thing doesn't work. You, you may be in your career, your kids, your community standing, and you begin to think, maybe is, is that all there is? Maybe the next big thing isn't going to do it. And then there's a second level where despair is reverberating. Maybe, maybe you're in your midlife and you've come to a place where you've climbed to the top of your ladder and you looked around and your ladder is on the wrong house. And you say, oh, it really is sinking sand. Jesus was right. And then, and then there's the third level where it's really reverberating. It's really beating you in the ears. And it can happen for older people. But you say, I, I, I've, done, I've, I've achieved this level and this level and this level and this level. And you know it doesn't quite do it. The next big thing doesn't quite do it. It, it, it really can happen. I love our, our, our older people here who love Christ. It's a great, great to be around them. But there are older Epicureans who have achieved financial success and freedom and they're ready to retire. And you know what happens? During their retirement years, they go from doctor to doctor to doctor. Getting hearing aids, getting the eyes checked, getting uh, their knees replaced and their hips replaced and their shoulders replaced and dealing with their back. And, and they say, you know, I worked all my life to have a certain amount of financial freedom and, and, and spatial freedom to do things. And now all I'm doing is sitting in doctor's offices. And that's hard. It's just hard. And, and so there is despair, this reverberating in our, really, so this happened to me, I was 36 a long time ago, I was asked to speak at a business thing in West Palm Beach, and they put me up at a resort with my wife, and our daughter had just been born a few months before, and we said, man, yes. And so we went down there in Palm Beach, and we're out one day walking around, and we're walking down this street, and, and it, it, wealth was oozing from everything. I mean, oozing. And so we're, I'm not a car person, but I know Lamborghinis. I can see a Lamborghini. And so this guy comes up the street in a brand-new Lamborghini, which cost a ton of money. And he gets out, and I glance up, and he's imperially dressed. I thought, whoa. And as we got closer, I, I noticed that he was limping, and as we got closer, his skin was ashen, and he was incredibly thin, and he had a toupee on his head that was, I think, trying to cover over the aftermath of chemotherapy. And I thought, that man would give all of his wealth to have one week of my health. He's worked, he's worked, he's worked, he's worked, he's worked, and now yes, it's gone. So, so I much prefer a former Epicurean thrill seeker who is despairing to a present-day Epicurean who's asking, what's the next big thing? What's, when's the next home game? When's the next party? When's the next outing? See, because listen, you, you cannot hear and embrace and love the gospel unless you go through despair. I believe that. Until you say, I, I can't pull this off. Life doesn't have all the answers, but when you hit the wall of despair, I think you hear the sweetness of the gospel of grace. To hear the gospel well, I must be someone who is 
despairing. So point number two, he, he says this, he says, but, but the, the beasts are better off or are the same of us. There's no advantage that we have over the beast. He says, better are those who are dead than those who are alive and better still those who've never been born. Now you will not find that in the greeting card section at CVS. That's a despairing man. And so you walk around people, I talk to see people all the time and, and they'll say stuff like this, you know, we need to treat people with dignity. And just to kind of have fun sometimes, I, I want to say, I do say, why? Well, we just should. Why? Well, you know, just, we'll all get along better. Okay. But why? They have no answer. And so ultimately, a person who's living only under the sun can be a very gracious, caring person who says that, or they can be something of a racial profiler or a neo-Nazi or a Stalinist and say power is in the barrel of the gun, like Mel C. Tung said, or it's only for our racial group, or it's only for our zip code, it's only for us and me and my family. But we step back and we say regarding, are we better off than beasts? Absolutely. Do we have advantages over beasts? Absolutely. Why? We are made in the image of God. Don't ever forget that. When you're out in, among people and they say, you know, why do we treat these people with dignity or, or shouldn't we rile against these people? No, we should listen with humility because all men and women and boys and girls are made in the image of God and therefore they, they deserve respect and Christian love. So, so racism and gender bashing and political party bashing and elitism is so against the heart of God. Unbelievable. So, so when I say you're made in the image of God, first of all, you ask, well, what's the nature of being made in the image of God? Well, first of all, you're, it means ontologically you can express beauty and truth and hope. You know certain things are true because you're made in the image of God and they're written on your heart. Secondly, it means that you're made for relationship. God is Trinitarian in his glory and splendor forever and ever and ever in fellowship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, we're made for relationship. And every home... Martin Luther said, is to be a little church. Every home, with its ups and downs and brokenness and confession of sin and laughter. It means that we have the cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Therefore, we are to be peaceful, people who love tasks and who do the right thing and who go forward out of obedience to the living God. The second question is, how thoroughly has the image been marred? It's been marred horribly, but not totally obliterated. Last week... Colossians 3.11, eternity is planted in your hearts. Thirdly, how is it restored? More about that in a second. But really the issue is, brothers and sisters, we are made in the image of God. Therefore, people are worthy of respect and Christian love. So here, look at this. So under the sun only man, a vast chasm from the, to the eternal perspective. And the question is, how do we get over there? The answer is through the cross of Jesus. We go from under the sun to an eternal perspective. That's the gospel. The, the gospel is not hopes. It is not what ifs. It is I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. See, these are historically grounded. It really happened. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the universal church, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. It's going to happen in the life everlasting. In Queer Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this regarding, regarding the restoring of the image of God in my fallen life and your fallen life. He says, God, God made us. He invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion, the Christian faith. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. We're made to be worshipers of the triune God. Therein is hope. I keep on, one of my thoughts, I think about this verse frequently in Proverbs 4. It says that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until noonday. In other words, the little diagram in your bulletin, you, you know Christ and you continually take steps of obedience into the light. You make adjustments to walk in the light. You, you stay in the scripture and, and you respond, you walk in the light. But it says conversely, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. He does not know what over he stumbles. And I've seen that time after time. I've seen people that are smarter and more gifted and more together than the vast majority of us. They just, they just, they hit a wall and they go down. They go down. They, they, they stumble over things that we go, you're stumbling over that. And I thought the, the precious birthright of being a child of God, where, where Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Life is not absurd, it's full of hope. Your hope bears to those around you. To many people walking in, in, in darkness and they, they say life is absurd. Or I think of 1 Thessalonians where the Apostle Paul is, is writing about how we should live in light of who Christ is. And he says this, he says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. And be sober. Be, 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 be wide awake, church. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. The helmet of the salvation brings hope. See, I want Christ to restore his glory in our lives. So yesterday, uh, this, or this weekend in London, this drawing was auctioned. And this, by a man named Banksy, who is, that's, that, that's a pseudonym. People don't know his real name. He was a very famous street artist in London. But this little 
drawings called Girl with a Red Balloon was sold for $1.5 million. And as soon as the auctioneer said it sold to person X, you probably read what happened. There was a paper shredder in the frame of the picture and the paper shredder was activated and the picture went down through a paper shredder. And if you read about Banksy, that's kind of his worldview. His, his worldview is life is absurd. There's no hope. So I, I think it was an, art, an artistic statement that it's all vanity of vanities. He, he's, he, he's saying vanity of vanities. Well, I read again, read about it again this morning. Now art auctioneers are saying that the shredded picture, once it's put back together, will be worth a million dollars more than the guy paid for it yesterday. I don't get it. I mean, you know, so shredded paper, Elmer's glue, put it together, worth 2.5 million instead of 1.5. So I think it's a statement about absurdity. I was thinking about that, drove up this morning in the back of our property, parked over there. Friday night, somebody spray painted our buses in the back of our building and some of our uh, carriers. Thankfully, nothing profane that I could read, but just, and at first I, I just went, I can't, I, I got it. And then I, I was angry and I thought, God, uh, please speak to the heart of somebody who thinks that defacing public property is okay. That to deface something is just a statement of absurdity. Save them from the worldview that says that ugliness is the same as beauty, that good is the same as bad, that up is the same as down, which is what they're being taught in post-modernity today. But there's a God and there are standards. And the living God's name is Jesus. See, what happens today in our culture? I was reading the magazine the other day, printed in our city, and, and I think I thought of G.K. Chesterton, and I'll, be, I'll close with this. But G.K. Chesterton, a British thinker in the 19th century, a brilliant man said this, maybe his most famous statement. He says, when you quit worshiping the true and living God, he was a very committed believer. When you quit worshiping the true and living God, you do not stop worshiping, but you begin to worship anything. So there, there's no grid. Now, I just picked this up. I'm going to just read a couple of them. It happens, in this, this is in our city the first week of October. A workshop on Ask the Medium. Medium. Um, this takes place in Somerville. What is mediumship? How does it work? Can I really contact a loved one that has passed away? Come with an open heart and mind. Well, first of all, the Bible roundly condemns that type of behavior. You're in league with the dark side. Another workshop was follow your yellow brick road, and yours, yours is capitalized. Um, so do you know what that refers to, you young people here? Do you know what that refers to, the yellow brick load? You, you do? What's it referred to? Oh, you got it, Wizard of Oz. I, I thought maybe it's just for old folks like me. I didn't know Wizard of Oz was still watched, but it refers to the Wizard of Oz. We're off to see the wizard and follow the yellow brick road. But your yellow brick, and you, you call the shots. The, the Bible has glorious restraints, constraints. Another is exploring 21st century priestesshood. Says once again, come with an open mind. All these things come with an open mind. This is one that I, dances of universal peace. See, people people do this stuff. There's a spiritual impulse where people want to know something. 
that's beyond the vanity of vanities around us. This is um, Dances of Universal Peace, um, Unity of Charleston, meditation and movement using mantras from many of the world's religions, easy to do, spiritual circle dances with live music, um, with guitar, violin, and flute. We celebrate the unity across the world religions through an embodied practice of prayer and dance and song. So, yeah, you just dance. Just two others real quickly. One was healing with singing bowls, B-O-W-L-S. Healing begins with consciousness and crystal bowls help quiet the body. So the mind steps in and begins the healing process. This process removes the negativity and the physiology and allows the mind to be clear reflection of pure consciousness. See, all these things, though, cannot be defined. They can't be. See, the Christian faith is defined. All we preach is the first importance that Jesus Christ was a man, that he lived, that he was, he was crucified, dead, and buried, and the third day he rose from the dead, and he appeared to 500 men, and then he ascended into heaven. It's, 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 it's rational, it is factual, it is historical. So when you hit despair, you go in thousands. This is the last one. This is the one that there's no way, okay? Just up to this point, it's kind of like, oh, gosh. Arrow yoga, a mixture of yoga acrobatics and Thai massage in one. Not going to do it. This practice includes a warm-up, a few drills, and some basic moves. All skill levels welcome. Come enjoy yourself and be willing to give and to receive. Okay, start massaging the person next to you. It's not going to happen. In my life, I'm, not going to, I'm just not going to do it. There's only one, maybe, five, maybe two, two adults, my daughter and my wife, I'll, I'll massage. Period. And I, that, 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 that's just, and just my wife, really. But I, I, so that, this gives me the willies. I'm saying, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be going around giving free massages to people I don't know. Nobody, I know. But I, I, I read that and I'm going... When you stop believing in the living God, it's not that you quit believing, it's that you open your life to anything because it cannot be defined. The Christian faith is defined. So despair leads to the gospel. Nobody here has it together. Nobody. Raw dysfunctional. If, if you are doing very well today, you know what? It's not going to last. I hate to tell you that. You're not getting better and better. It's just, it's just life is hard in the fallen world. If you're doing bad today, if you hang in there and trust the Lord, it'll get better. But it's just life is like this. It's just, it just is. We've been called to the hope of the gospel. You are a messenger of hope to those around you. Live it out. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the day. Thank you for the privilege of just worshiping. And, and thank you for preserving a, a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes that really seems out of place. Because it's a, a letter by a despairing old man. But let us learn from this book. Let us learn. And let us not travel the path that he's traveled of living life only under the sun. And how easy that can happen. Help us not to fall prey to creeping Epicureanism. And that can happen. But let us live as unto you. And thank you for the fact, Lord Christ, that you said with incredible clarity, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it in its abundance. Thank you for that promise. And let us hold on to that in Jesus' name. Amen.